This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. And this is the 135th episode of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Whether that meant clicking a mouse or a touchpad or your phone, that effort alone makes me say thank you. Today we're going to talk about local. Now, this is a both and conversation, which is to say that when I talk about going fishing somewhere far away next week, I'm not contradicting myself. So you can both focus on local and far away. I just think that local kind of predicates the far away. Local ought to come before the far away. Uh, That's not to say that if for some reason you've decided to listen to my podcast, but you only go fishing once a year and you live on the East Coast and you fly out to Montana, that you're doing it wrong. I just think that there can be a lot of contentment gained by somebody who really wants to fish, who really wants to fish more, by getting involved locally. And we're going to talk about a few different ways that that looks. So again, both and conversation. You can fish far away. You can desire to fish far away. You can plan to fish far away. You can get involved in things that are not close to home. But I think there's a lot of benefits in making sure that you also have a lot of local facets to your fly fishing. I think it will benefit you. It'll benefit your community and it will benefit your far away fishing. So I think that there is a lot of benefits to you being on the water when you do go on that cross country trip if you've had that regular time close by. And I think they work with each other. I think they feed off of each other. They, again, are not mutually exclusive. It's a both and kind of conversation. So we're gonna talk about four different things. The first one being fish. Go fishing locally. Now, this isn't a hard thing. It just might require a little bit of tweaking. So this is something I've talked about plenty of times on the podcast before. 
when I first moved to Massachusetts from living in Pennsylvania, I was grieving the loss of my spring creeks. And so every freestone river, every tailwater, every ocean full of striped bass, to me seemed like a step down. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you know, ranking things in your head and having a preference. I still absolutely love spring creeks. And probably if I had my choice to live on a type of water, I would gladly get rid of those giant bass that are around the the corner from my house to fish on a spring creek and live on a spring creek. But that's not my situation. So I'm going to embrace what I have. And when I had the opportunities to go to spring creeks, I'm going to fish those with great gusto. But if you're fishing ideal is nowhere close to you, then be content with what's around the corner. Be content with what's next door. Learn to appreciate it. Learn to find those points of continuity. Um, For me, for example, one of the things that I loved about Spring Creeks was how they had the propensity of having undercut banks and how my streamer game involved a lot of downstream streamer fishing with finesse and working big brown trout out from underneath these undercut banks and the big weed beds that acted as tunnels for, for these holes. Now, I don't have the exact same situation, but you know what? There's plenty of places where I can fish a downstream drift and fish a streamer in a similar manner on some of these freestone streams that I have all around me in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and Maine. I can still do the same thing. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't feel the same, but it's it's similar enough. And then, you know what? I look and I say, I can nymph this run. I can fish a dry fly over that pool, and I'm fishing. And really, I think once you get in the water, as long as you're having success, or and, and not just having success in like numerical fishing uh, results, but just in success of having a good time, then a lot of those comparisons fade away. So again, if you are used to flying to Alaska once a year, and that's your fishing trip, and you just have some little put-and-take stocker stream around the corner, you know what? Get out, get a little five-weight, have fun with it, learn some techniques, learn some tactics, and if there aren't a whole lot of point of continuity between what you want to be doing and what you're doing, still find something that you can enjoy. Because that keeps you in the water, it is a little bit of a a carrying over activity between those big trips, and you'll be so surprised with what you find. Even if your preference is saltwater and you live freshwater or vice versa, you know, you are going to be so surprised at the enjoyment that comes from the challenges that you create on your own. But those kind of things only happen when you're on the water more frequently. It's as simple as saying, I saw a fish in that run. It was the biggest fish I've ever seen in this river. It was all of 14 inches or something like that. Uh, And you go after that. Or, you know, I was walking the dog and I saw a carp. I've never caught a carp before. How do I catch a carp? This is my new white whale that I'm going to chase after this carp. And so with a couple of small purchases, a few online videos, a little bit of practice, this is going to be the thing that I do. It isn't the same as going to catch a a tarpon. But there's no tarpon that live in the pond by your house, unless you live in Florida, of course. But I'm convinced that most anglers are not pigeonholed into, I only fish this way with this rod and this stream for this fish. I think it's that challenge and that atmosphere and the culture of fly fishing that really gets us. So are you enjoying and taking advantage of what is around you, what is local? fish it. Get out there, catch those sunfish, 
catch those suckers, catch the whitefish, whatever you have close. Catch those stocked chubby rainbow because you never know what you're going to find, whether it be an experience or whether that be a fish. It's the hold of a rainbow that it's still a little chubby and still looks a little funny, but it's enormous. And it gladly took that little dry fly that you floated with a perfect presentation. And that can be just as rewarding as, as anything else based upon how it fits into the context of where you're fishing. All right, so this is the first thing about local is fish, fish local. Secondly, conserve local. All right, Bristol Bay, Bristol Bay, Bristol Bay. I know, I know Pebble Mine is not good. I've heard about it, believe it or not, a couple of times. I have no problem with people being against Pebble Mine. I am not for Pebble Mine by any stretch of the imagination. But can you name a conservation project close to your home? Maybe it doesn't have to do with trout. Maybe it doesn't have to do with fish. But can you name a water-based conservation project close to home? You can cut a check to whatever organization is trying to protect Bristol Bay, and there's value to that. But how many of your dollars are going to projects that are close to you, whether you fish or not? Maybe it's upstream of where you fish. Maybe it's downstream of where you fish. But as you know, everything is connected. Everybody lives downstream. And it all impacts each other. It is a symbiotic environment. And so if that means you getting your feet in the stream and moving some logs and building up some riparian structures or pulling out some old barrels or counting shad as they come through a corridor or just picking up trash, raising awareness even. I mean, that, that gets overused so much, but in certain circumstances, it is absolutely applicable. If people don't know the resource that's right beneath their feet, doing what you can do to inform your community, inform an elementary school, have a talk at a library, something like that. And even if it's for this little muddy stream that flows through your town, a lot of good can come from that. One example of that, there was a local college close to where I used to live in Pennsylvania that adopted this nasty little culvert-ridden kind of drain because they saw on maps that had once been a tributary to a creek. So they said, there's a spring here. This water is probably getting blocked up somehow. And they took time and they took energy and they took effort. They got the local Trout Unlimited involved. They got local elementary school students involved. And they revitalized this little spring seep and it now feeds back into the creek and in doing so it gives it a blast of cold water in a place where it had become kind of stagnant enough that it revitalized a stretch of water now is this an enormous project is this the removal of a dam on a big river out west is this the reconstruction of a fish passage or something like that no but it was actual people doing actual work close to home at the bare minimum for beautification the other auxiliary benefits where now you had a bunch of kids from elementary school that are aware of the benefit of being involved in the local ecosystem and conservation a local trial limited chapter that actually got to see results it wasn't just sending money off somewhere and maybe hearing about how it got spent but your 15 bucks got you know amassed in a million dollars and you were a small part of some brick that was laid but then there was fish. The fish came back. The fish moved into a spot. The, the, the weeds that were supposed to be there were growing there. It wasn't the nasty stuff. It was the good stuff. And then the bugs came back, and the stream bottle got channelized, and, and the, the rocks were available so that there was substrate so the fish could spawn. All of those auxiliary benefits happened just because of a little bit of work, and it was local. 
and it wasn't that difficult. People do that all the time, and you can be involved in it as well. Become the champion of a stream. If you are one person who retweets something about Pebble Mine, then there's something to that. I'm not going to deny that. But if you are the person who stands up, kind of Lorax-like, and speaks for a stretch of water or something local to you that you can go and touch and watch and monitor, that's some good stuff. That's some very, very good stuff that is worthwhile. And you know what? If you can't do that, maybe buy coffee for the guys that can and be an encouragement. Little things like that do help. Take notice of the people who do have their hands and feet in the water, making those changes to do what they can to, to help, even if not the fishing, just the environment around you. If it matters, then it should matter, no matter if it turns into a 20-inch trout or not. All right, fish local, conserve local. Thirdly, you know what's coming, shop local. I have no problem with buying gear online. I have no problem with patronizing companies like Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. There is a time and a place for those things. However, shop local because the benefits of shopping local outweigh what may very well be the slightly higher price that you're going to pay. Let's not mince words. You can get better deals online. That pack of hackle that you can get for 55 bucks instead of 65 bucks because you bought it on the internet, it's $10 and you're saving $10 on that. And if you buy 10 hackles, then that's $100, okay? But what happens if you go into the shop and you have a conversation? What happens when you can actually touch the hackle? What if you are able to to take those 10 envelopes and kind of look at them and say, I'm looking for a grizzly hackle and you know these have mostly feathers that are too big or these have mostly feathers that are too small? You can do something in that moment that you cannot do online. You can find a really repeatable hackle seller, but then you're also not going to get that deep discount so you're back at the beginning again. You might as well go into your local fly shop and look and find the hackle that you need. And then, of course, you go and you touch the fly rods and you cast the fly rods. Don't just wiggle them in the store. It's fun. I'm not against wiggling fly rods in the store. As long as you don't whack stuff with them, I remember that so frequently. Uh, working at a fly shop, people pulling a, a rod off the rack and like bumping the rod on either side of it and then whacking the ceiling with it. Like they expect the thing to weigh 50 pounds. When they pick it up, they just lose all control of their right arm and they're whacking things all over. Be gentle. This is something that somebody else is going to eventually buy and take home and then wiggle it around. It's, it's fun. We all do it. But cast it and have a conversation. Get their opinion. Hopefully, if it's a fly shop that's worth their salt, and, and there's some that aren't, to be honest, just because they're local doesn't mean they're good. And let's put, put that out there. But if it's somebody who can give you pointers on your cast and say, yeah, it looks like, you know, you're really throwing tight loops, but you're, you know, when you go to make that presentation, you're dropping your, your hand and your elbow too much. And that's why it's coming down really hard. But otherwise, it seems like you're casting the rod really well. I'll gladly take your $500. You know, but little things like that can make the difference. You cannot get that experience online. You can't. It's impossible. Have I bought fly rods online? Of course I have. I think most of us have. But when I really want a good fly rod, when I really want the ones that cost a little bit of money, I go and I'm hands-on. I want to make sure it's exactly what I need. And then I like the options that I have when I'm in the store. I've mentioned this before. Put the reel that you want to buy on the fly rod that you want to buy. Or put the reel that you have on the fly rod that you want to buy. You can't do that if you're going online. 
but little things like that give you opportunities to maybe get more out of the experience spend a few more dollars but in the grand scheme of things we're not talking hundreds we're maybe talking 20 or 50 dollars more and you get it right then you get to talk to that person you get to support a local business you're beginning to build a relationship now if you're antisocial, that might not be what you want i get it but if you have a particular question even if you're antisocial, being able to have somebody who is a resource who knows the local streams who knows the local environment who knows what's happening you build up a lot of cachet with somebody once you have that transaction I am a firm believer, and they might not admit it. I know some some people don't think of things in this way, but when you make that purchase, you're kind of buying into being a part of what's going on there. That's a real, real legitimate choice these days to shop local and shop small. You are supporting, and so I think there is some reciprocity there. Now, some shop owners might not feel that way, and that's kind of the difficult position a lot of people have gotten themselves into where they offer less customer service than the big box stores they offer less customer service than some of the big online fly shops but by and large people are going to want to have that conversation with you and again you get to touch stuff you get to see stuff you get to try stuff on you don't have to have that hassle of of ordering it trying it on mailing it back if you need something today you know you got to go to a fly shop prime is awesome you get it in two days but if it doesn't fit or two days is not fast enough, that fly shop is going to be where it's at. And when you get people that can do special orders for you because they know that you are a legitimate customer and they're able to guide you to those purchases, that's the kind of stuff that is good. And even if you only patronize a fly shop every once in a while, you want that fly shop to be there when you need it. So every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. So shop local. Fish local, conserve local, shop local, and then the last one, have community locally so maybe i am a big hypocrite for fostering community through casting across but i don't have a message board i don't have anything like that uh, i do like that i get to interact with anglers from all over the world i do like that i get emails and comments and social media chirps from people from all over the place and it's a lot of fun to have those conversations and figure out what people are doing and what's going on However, I still have a group of people that I interact with that are local. I have a lot of people that I used to tie flies with back when we did that in person. That's probably starting up here any month now. That's exciting. People that I fish with. If you can get to the point where you notice people and while you're out on the stream or while you're at the fly shop and you can have a conversation, again, if you're antisocial, this might sound like the worst thing in the world. Like I fish to not be around people. But even at the bare minimum, if you can just have a pleasant smile, tip of the hat, nod, hi, how's the fishing going, then that's something good. There's somebody that's maybe even looking out for you. I've had that happen before where I've dropped something and someone says, hey, I noticed this was yours uh, because I've seen it on your vest. Here you go. That's awesome. That's something little. It's, 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 a, it's a great feeling. It's like restoring your hope in humanity. But that only comes by knowing people and having conversations. But then, really, it circles back to all three of the things I've talked about before that. Community, when it's not just on a message board, nothing wrong with message boards, not just in a Facebook group, nothing wrong with Facebook groups. Well, there's things that are plenty wrong with Facebook groups, but inherently there's nothing wrong with it. When it's off the Internet and when it's in person or when it is maybe online but a little bit more intimate in you're actually having like real conversations, not just comments here and there, those things, they 
feed into building community at the fly shop. They build into let's all get together and make some changes on our local watershed so that we and the people around us and our children and our children's children are going to be able to enjoy this resource. And you can call somebody up or text them and say, hey, what are they biting on? And how great is that? That simply by having relationships locally, you can impact the local economy, well, the fly fishing economy, whatever that's worth, the local conservation scene, and the fishing experience that you have for yourself. So that happens by fishing locally. And you know what? While you're having doing those things, while you are working on the stream project and you want to talk about that trip you have coming up to Belize or Kamchatka or something like that, do it. But then at the end of the day, head down to that riffle, watch the trout rise, and just enjoy the fact that you have things. They might not be exactly what you want. They might not be your favorite, but you have something close to home that you're invested in and that you can benefit from in the local ways. Any thoughts on this? Anything that I completely missed? Some other big benefit of keeping your fishing local? If so, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. I will respond to you. And if you have some really good stuff, I will insert it into an upcoming podcast. Just because I don't insert it doesn't mean it's not really good. But there's only so much time, and I try to keep these around 20 minutes, 25 minutes, which means I should stop talking about what I'm talking about and talk about something else. This week on castingacross.com, two articles. The first one was called Weigh, Measure, and Show Grace. Weigh, Measure, and Show Grace. So I'm not a measure my fish person. I'm certainly not a weigh my fish person. I don't bring a tape measure with me, and I don't bring a little scale with me. I never have. Uh, I mentioned the article that there was at one point in time when I had two rods that I fished with almost exclusively, these two certain rods, that I knew what the rod butt to the tip of the cork and then to the stripping guide was. So I had these two kind of rough estimates that I could like hold a fish up to my rod real quick and be like, yeah, that thing's over 15 inches. But really shortly thereafter, I started fishing other rods and I started realizing, like, what does it matter? I'm not going to keep them. It's not about a slot limit. And, you know, bragging rights, if that thing is almost 20, I can say the thing was almost 20 and that's good enough. But I maybe I don't catch enough big fish, but there was a time when I was catching lots of big fish, but maybe I just don't feel the need to, to share that. So I talk a little bit about the culture and the idea around measuring and weighing your fish. Weighing trout, that's just something I just can't. It was a five-pound trout. How would you even know? Like you have this perfect perception about what five pounds is. But anyway, people do that. And hey, if that's your thing, I don't want to knock it. I'm not going to yuck your yum. Next article that appeared on Wednesday of this week was called Planning and Executing a Fly Fishing Gift. Planning and Executing a Fly Fishing Gift. My wife gave me one of the best gifts that a woman can give a man on Father's Day, and that is you have a day to go fishing. I'll probably talk about this next week, or maybe the week after, after I, I do it. But uh, this is the front end, and the great thing about this gift is that she gave it to me about two weeks before Father's Day, which means that I have about three weeks to plan this fishing trip, which for me is almost as fun as going fishing itself. I get to figure out where I'm going to go. I'm going to figure out why I want to go there. I got to figure out, is it that worth an entire day? Is a long drive with this premier spot better or a short drive and some really good stuff? What uh, I don't get to do up here in New England that I can do down in Virginia. So I kind of talk through how I go about that decision-making process. And maybe that'll resonate a little bit with you, but 
also maybe it'll be the kind of second half to the conversation today. Um, it really, they really relate to one another about how you think about your away fishing based upon your home fishing. And that might sound like kind of an abstract concept that might seem like a little bit weird and like just too much in your head, but we all go through these thoughts. You know, I don't know if I want to go and fish for striped bass in Virginia because I fish for striped bass here. There's stuff I can't do here. Again, I was talking about Spring Creek. So that's the conversation I was having in my head, and I shared it with you all on the website, castingacross.com. I mention this every once in a while, and at, the, at this point in the podcast, uh, thanks for sticking with me, but, you know, I think the writing is really good. Me talking is good, but me writing, I, I edit my writing. I don't edit my talking. <laughs> and maybe if you listen to this and I say, yeah, obviously you don't edit your talking, but I don't edit my talking. I edit my writing. I go back. It's it's still rough. I mean, it's, it's a it's a blog for goodness sake. I don't like calling it that. I like calling it a website. I like calling them articles. But at the same time, it's just a blog. And a lot of it is kind of rough and unpolished. And I have plans eventually to kind of mold some things into some, some better works. But a lot of it is uh, just what's been on my mind. And you could even say on my heart and on the end of my rod for the last few weeks. That's what I put out. And that is what ends up on castingacross.com. It's over five years, and so there's a lot of stuff there. The podcast didn't start until like two years ago, so that means there's a whole lot of written stuff on castingacross.com. This week's recommendation on the podcast is Bo Beasley's Fly Fishing Virginia. Fly Fishing Virginia by Bo Beasley, part of the No Nonsense Guide series. This is a great book. I've had this for so many years. I leaned on it heavily when I was living in Virginia. But Bo's a great guy. He's behind the Virginia Fly Fishing and Wine Festival and the Texas Fly Fishing and Craft Beer Festival. I think I have the name of that right. He is a longtime outdoor writer, and he's got a handful of guidebooks. And Bo's just a, a great guy. If you know Bo, then if you've met Bo at a fly fishing show, you know he's just a warm, kind, outgoing fella. And this is a great book because he is writing about his home water. Now, he is kind of from where I hail from in the northern part of the state, but he is a well-connected man who has all sorts of inroads to some great fly fishing all across the Old Dominion. So if you live in or around Virginia or you're going to be going there on a vacation, this is a book worth picking up. It is a beautifully photographed book with awesome maps, great little anecdotes, and again, that warmth of Bo knowing these waters intimately, he's not writing about someplace that he went on vacation to learn about. He's writing about the places that he fishes himself. So it's a great book. It's worth checking out. I'll put a link to Fly Fishing Virginia by Bo Beasley on the show notes of this podcast page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.